OTB Sports Rugby. You know, just take it easy, keep the emotion in check. That's not that what sport is about. It's about emotion. It's about singing your national anthem with pride. Subscribe to the rugby stream on the OTB Sports app now. Off the ball, daily. You're welcome back. So we're going to turn to GA. We often do rugby at this time. We'll do that later this hour, but quiet rugby weekend, busy GA weekend. To give you a general sense of things, in Division 1, we had Mayo against Kerry on Saturday evening live on TV. Mayo, 11 points up at halftime, ran out 214 to 110 winners against Kerry. We had Monaghan beating Donegal, 120 to 15 points. We had Roscommon beating Armagh, 112 to 12 points. And then in very uh, tricky conditions, Galway beat Tyrone, 16 points to 13. Division 2. Derry and Dublin uh, wins. They're both top of the table, unbeaten. Kildare pulled it out of the fire in Ennis against Clare, 16 points to 15. Loud were winners against Limerick. A glance at the tables, and we're three games in here in the football leagues. We have uh, Roscommon top of Division 1. Uh, three games in, three wins. Mayo unbeaten in three. Two draws in there, obviously, but they're uh, second in Division 2. Derry and Dublin, three games in, three wins in. In Division 3, Cavan are 3-for-3 three three as well. They're on six points. Ahead of Westmeath on four. And uh, Fermanagh down. Offaly also on four. And then in Division 4, Leash, the only team to go 3-for-3 three three thus far. So that's a broad sense of where we are. Very happy to bring in Colin Boyle, former male footballer and four-time All-Star. Colin, great to have you on. Evening. Joe, how are you? How are things? Yeah, very well. So... This is the most brilliant competition for fans. They hit the road. They enjoy football under lights. They are watching competitive games, be they in Division 4 against their own standard or be they in Division 1 against their own standard. And it's great to get out of the house. And, you know, 15,000 at Castle Bar, for instance, a perfect example of why this competition is so great for fans. This competition is a bloody nightmare for analysts. I don't know what to think about any of this. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's a bit of a mess at the minute, I think. Um, I'm looking at Kerry at the minute in particular. So I was in Casabar on Saturday night and exactly what you're saying there. I looked at Kerry team before the game. Six of the team that maybe they played in the in the Ireland final or started the Ireland final. And even with O'Shea and Clifford on the bench, I, I looked at Kerry's first two games that were played pretty much at challenge match pace almost against Donegal, Amon. And, and then you compare that with... Mayo and what that was, the intensity of their games against Armagh and Galway. And to me, there was only going to be one winner last Saturday night. If Mayo brought that intensity, uh, that same intensity to, to Saturday night, and it was very evident after about 15, 20 minutes that there was just nothing in Kerry's legs. And you can kind of put that down to two things. Probably one, they won't have that required work done, I would say, as a squad. And probably number two, they probably just started their heavy training block maybe over the last couple of weeks and there's, there was, like I said, there was just no zip to their play. There was no energy. Like some of the basic mistakes that they made, they just, they look like tired mistakes as much as anything. And I think you exactly what you mentioned there, you can take absolutely nothing from it really for to see where both teams are at. Yes, Mayo look good. And we talk about that in a minute. Absolutely. They played yeah. very good football at times, but Kerry are, are just a million miles away from, from where they will be in probably three, four months time. Um, well, to pick up on that, 
theme then? Because it's very interesting to try even and and, and speculate about why Jack O'Connor is taking that approach versus uh, McStay and Mayo and also what the right approach in this uh, condensed season with uh, different demands in comparison with previous seasons, which which approach is the correct one? Because somebody's going to get this brilliantly, spectacularly right maybe and somebody else may get this wrong. So here uh, is Jack O'Connor talking after the game and again, Mayo 2-14, Kerry 1-10, a seven-point defeat. It was an eleven-point deficit at halftime. It was thirteen-point deficit at one point in the game. The likes of Sean O'Shea and Clifford came off the bench for the uh, second half. So here's Jack O'Connor speaking after the game. Not an experience you enjoy any team, to be honest with you, because we were well off it. Um, particularly in the first half, we were we were a good bit off it. No, um, you know we're still. I've said this in the fairly consistently. We were. He laid back training, which is understandable after the other but and uh, Mayo certainly seemed to have the legs in the stand in the first half. And uh, we just couldn't get the grips with their running game. And, I mean we showed a bit of half time in the second half, but the game was the game was the game was pretty much gone at that stage. I should have pressure. I've said this you know before the league ever started, I said that we'd we'd settle for for safety in the division if we could get to six points, I think six <coughs> points might keep you safe, you know. But they're not going to be easy to win them. They won't be easy next Saturday night. They won't be easy the following weekend up in Tyrone. So points are going to be very difficult to get here. And that's why I was disappointed coming down from Donegal because I felt it was a point or two left after us. You know. So that's O'Connor's perspective. This is not a man talking about winning the league. No. If you take um, Mayo and Roscommon, for instance, as the two unbeaten sides in Division 1 and you take Kerry. So... All managers are sitting down and charting out the season column. Mayo and Roscommon play each other in the championship on April 9th, followed by Galway two weeks later. Whereas Kerry and Jack O'Connor, on the one hand in the rearview mirror, he's got the All-Ireland win and the Cliffords obviously had had, had more miles on the road than most. And Mayo and Roscommon play April 9th. Kerry play either Waterford or Tip April 22nd and, and really would be looking at Cork in a final on May the 7th. So that's almost like a month difference between Mayo Roscommon, the date that they'll really circle in the calendar and the date that Kerry will circle in the calendar on May 7th, April 9th versus May 7th. Do you suspect uh, that's the major impetus here? O'Connor is looking at May 7th, Mayo Roscommon looking April 9th and if the league has to be a casualty, so be it. Is that is that your read on Kerry? Yeah, like it's not too often you hear a Kerry manager and especially Jack O'Connor with such a good le- record in the league talking about just getting to six points and, and, and safety, you know. But I think there's a, there's a couple of things in that for Jack O'Connor. I think number one, you mentioned it there, the long season some of his players have had, obviously the Cliffords, um, you know, the likes of Paul Murphy, Shane Ryan, so many of these fellas not having a full squad available, the likes of Gavin White, obviously out injured, Jeremy O'Connor, they're kind of longer term injuries, uh, which which if, which is a factor. And then they generally did have a late start back. So he was probably looking at saying, look, we're not going to be going full tilt here in the league. There's no point in making an absolute push for this. We just need to be right for when we when we need to be right, which is obviously later on in the summer and the, the defence for the Ireland title. You factor that in with what exactly what you said there, a championship game against Waterford or Tip in what I think is three or four weeks after the league finishes. So that like that's a huge... You know, they're going to get a huge block of work done on that. And I think they've generally started this block of work now. And I think you would see that in the legs on Saturday evening. Like I said, there was no energy in that. This is Jack O'Connor's second year as well, which is another factor. You said Roscommon and Mayo there. They're complete reverse of that almost. Both of them 
out of the championship fairly early last year, May and June, and obviously got Roscommon a couple of weeks before that. Mm. And both new management teams coming in who are starting afresh and looking really to go hard early and build a bit of momentum early on the season. Pretty much similar to what Jack O'Connor did last year. Like this time last year, Jack O'Connor was going flat out for a league title. His first season back in with Kerry. So, so the impetus has changed on his part, certainly. But I think for Mayo, no, don't, I don't think for one second Kevin McStay or you know even David Burke is going flat out for a Division 1 title because obviously Mayo and Roscommon play a week after the league final in the first round of the championship. So that would be a nightmare scenario for them too if they are in a league final, I think. So that that's something that certainly needs to be looked at going forward. But yeah, it's, it's certainly interesting. But from a Perry point of view, look, they'll be fine. They'll be, they'll be good when they need to be good, that's for sure. Yeah, I sense... Uh, frustration in O'Connor's voice but no panic I mean he could have them as fit as Mayo if he wanted to at this stage he understands what he's doing he's no fool to say the very least on Mayo's coming so are you telling me that they're going full bore as we speak they're very fit and they're going along very nicely in the league but as soon as the prospect of reaching a league final uh, comes into view they're going to pull down the shutters and get the hell away from that prospect I honestly think so, Joe. Like, if you look at it this way, Mayo Roscommon, they're playing around five of the league, which has to come yet, I think, in the height. So there's a possibility of playing three times in the next seven weeks. And there's only much, so much shadow boxing you can do in, in the first couple of games. So I, I, I just can't see a scenario where both, either team would want to be in a league final, to be honest. A week before the championship, there's just too much distraction in it for me leading into a big, big championship game because it is a big, big championship game with this new championship structure and the way it's going to be seeded going forward, uh, certainly for the for the group stage of the, of the Sam Maguire race. So uh, there's just something not right about it, Joe, that we're talking about this even. You know, Division 1, it should be something everyone is going for. But mm-hmm. the fact that the championship is now condensed, they've brought it forward, starting the championship a week after, a, you know, a league final. You know, it should be a case now, I think, where there's just no finals. You finish top of the league and and that's it. I think, you know, whoever's the most points or whatever it is wins it because playing a league final, like I was at the Division 1 and Division 2 final last year and of the, of the two games, the four teams, only one team was really bothered about winning and that was Kerry. You know, the Division 2 final was a complete write-off. So I think it's gone to the stage now where we just need to look at the stage of scrapping league finals and, and, and just your top two get promoted and, and obviously Division 1 winners, your Division 1 winner on points only because it, what it also leads is a knock-on effect. So I can see, like if Roscommon win more, more, they're on eight, they're 100% safe, Mayo will get enough points and they'll be easing off the pedal in the last couple of games probably to avoid being in a league final and putting out possibly second-string teams and that can obviously have a knock-on effect on relegation because they could be playing a team that's scrapping for points, yeah. putting out a second-string second team. They're getting points all of a sudden and maybe getting themselves out of a relegation battle, which doesn't sit right either. So what we're saying, if we're being blunt about it, is, and, and maybe it doesn't apply to every team, but we're talking the likes of Mayo, Scum and Kerry, for instance. Um, the league here is a massive, massive victim of the condensed season. I mean, this is like... Yeah making a mockery of the thing really the way we're talking about it and I, I don't think we're exaggerating the approaches of these various teams because they have good reason to approach the league this way but so you know that that's kind of just a laughing stock really as a as a competition sure enjoy the individual nights and the individual games if you're a fan but I mean I, I think it's kind of an asterisk you win a league in 2023 and, and, and so half the teams have, have pulled up the handbrake I, like how happy can you be? 
but that is what the GA have done. Like, don't get me wrong, I'm I'm a, I'm a fan of the new structure and whatnot and the condensed season. But when you are condensing it that tightly, something is going to give. And the league at the minute, the league is the best structure. Still is the best structure sure. competition we have, even with the new format. But even if they took the league finals out, then there might be a bit more of a push. But at the minute, the way it is with league finals, I know there was a bit of a push maybe last year to try try and get rid of them. I know the GPA came in a little bit, but. Mm. Yeah, for me, it's just nonsensical at the minute that the best structure competition we have that no one really wants to win it. Obviously, it's different when you go down to the divisions. You know, teams are looking to get promoted and whatnot. But yeah. regards getting a Division Three final or Division Two final, do teams really care about winning that either? I'm not too sure. So, look, you would have seen up close and personal sports science at work in GA and uh, putting in a heavy period of work and then tapering off and the twos and fros of a season. Now, to be a sports scientist in GEA is probably the most complicated job uh, on, on, on planet Earth. And and in some cases, whether you're out on April the 9th, like May or Roscommon, or whether in Kerry's case, it's April 22nd and then, you know, Munster final, not till May the 7th, you have different options. So say from May on Roscommon's point of view, they've decided to go hard and go early. And then we're predicting some kind of downtime towards the end of the league and they go again for April 9th and then they're into the championship. I, I was trying to uh, work it out. So were Mayo, for instance, to win the All-Ireland or get to an All-Ireland final, we're talking somewhere between seven and ten championship games, depending on whether they mm. go all the way in Connacht or not, because going all the way in Connacht is not essential with the new format. So somewhere between seven and ten games. I was having a look at your own career because you'd be able to give us a memory. In 2017, you had ten games. And in 16, I think he had nine, but they would have been far more spread out, those championship games. Uh, is it absolutely no problem and possible for Mayo to have hit this level of fitness now and to keep going all the way through to July 30th and, and have those condensed championship games, potentially 10 of them? Is that, That's very doable or would that worry you? I think it's definitely doable. If you if you look at the teams that was going well early last year, we take Galway, for example, I know they're playing Division 2, but they were still going well. And you take Kerry, they're, they're probably the best Case or case in point at the minute because they were going so well this time last year and managed to hold that all the way through the year. Granted, obviously, they have easier run in the championship through the Munster Championship campaign, so they're able to get themselves through that and be primed for all Ireland quarter final onwards. But it is very different this year, and I've never played in this structure. Mm. You mentioned 2017 this that year, that was probably our most busiest time, I would say, game wise with replays and everything. Like you said, there are nine or ten games. But that's spread out from Ireland final to September. This yeah. is coming forward to July. To me, I think you need to be at a high bar this early in the year to be really be where you need to be later on in the year. Okay. And I'm not saying you need to be absolutely 100% or whatever it is, but if you, I'll take Mayo as a point of example. If you go back to where they were this time 12 months ago, they were probably where Kerry are now, was that they didn't have much of a pre-season for numerous reasons, lo- loads of injuries, and they could, they tried to up it during the league, train and load and whatnot, and it just all went pear-shaped from them between injuries, loss of form, couldn't get that back, and the season was a write-off. So I would much prefer to be in Mayo's position now, being in really good shape, injuries clearing up, confidence from winning games, yeah. and looking forward to to hopefully what could be a good year. I, I think Ken McStay would be really, really happy with that scenario. Like okay. I said, you put that in reverse 12 months ago and really they were all over the place. And one last question on, on managing this load, I suppose, is the, uh, you know, that traditional line that's often said around a league game, oh, they probably 
ran the legs off them the day before or ran the legs off them during yeah. the week. Is that still a done thing? Because I can just imagine sports scientists saying, oh my God, what are you doing? You're trying to give these lads injuries and, and, and forcing them to play in the red zone. Or, or, or is it still a done thing? I, I think I think it still could be, especially, I looked at Kerry Saturday night and I could not help but think them boys had to have a hell of a two weeks there because literally there was nothing in the legs. They were miles off the, off the Mayo players. Like, you know, it wasn't wasn't a case that they were just a yard or two short. They were short all over the pitch. And that's screaming at me like heavy legs, tiredness. There was another factor that added in when I heard they were travelling down the same day. Like I played against Kerry's numerous times on, uh, sorry, against Kerry numerous times at Casper and Saturday nights and they always came the night before. Mm. You know what I mean? So that kind of showed me, t- told me as well, you know, they're not taking this as seriously as normally a Kerry team would. You know, yeah, you combine all them factors in and that probably led to the performance that you see there. So, look, I think it'll be really, really interesting going forward, even this Saturday night against Armagh, I think it is at home for Kerry, what kind of bounce back they get from that. Maybe they might just take t- training down a tiny bit this week just to get, because they probably are at the stage now where they're thinking they do need points because Jack mm-hmm. O'Connor mentioned there in the interview, they are going to throw in Oma the following week. So, all of a sudden, you can start scrambling a small bit. And if there's one thing we've all learned from last year, from Dublin being relegated, no one is probably safe in that regards anymore. Yeah, they have Armagh. It's five o'clock throwing in uh, Tralee. Uh, so, uh, in so much as you can take anything from the Mayo performance, obviously, uh, in fine fettle from a fitness point of view, Aidan O'Shea at full forward mm. caught the eye. You had the likes of uh, Jordan Flynn looking very good, three points from play. Rhino Donoghue is, is is just full of energy and, and, and teak tough. He scored 1-3. James Carr, naturally enough, scored a very good goal because that's just what he does. He scored 1-3. Aidan O'Shea didn't score and yet it felt like he was heavily involved. Hugely involved in most things good that Mayo did. What I like about Aidan's game um, at the minute is just his link-up play. He's doing the simple things really well. You mentioned there he didn't score, but I would say he was heavily, heavily involved in six or seven of the of the Mayo scores that they got out of 16. And like I said, he's just linking the play really up really well. He's he's attracting sweepers. Like if I'm Tyg Morley last Saturday night, my main focus is probably on Aiden. Where is he? I've covered off space of him. I've got help out Jason Foley. And that's freeing up the likes of James Carr and the likes of Ryan O'Donnell and Ryan O'Donnell. And Aiden is really, really smart. He'd feed off that. But what I really liked about him, he just did the simple things really well. He wasn't trying to get the ball and you know, trying to barge past a couple of players. And people think about Aiden at full forward and they think about the Donegal goal in 15 where it's a skyscraper in, he pulls it out of the clouds and just shoves Neil McGee and Mark McHugh out of the way and puts it in the top corner. You know, that's you know that's not what Aiden O'Shea needs to be doing on, on a regular base for, for Mayo. That's kind of one in a hundred kind of stuff. It's just winning the simple balls out in front. I, I said this after my game, if you pop balls to Aiden in the front of the D, He's so big, he's so strong. If he gets the yard up front, you literally can't get around him because it's just too far. He'd just win it up in front and pop it off and bring other people into the game. And it kind of reminds me a bit of Kieran Donny in his last kind of couple of years as a Kerry full forward, probably in 14 or 15. Donny, okay, he got crucial scores, but he wasn't a huge scorer for Kerry. It was more the platform and the focal point he gave the Kerry team. And your James O'Donoghue was obviously feet, feet off that and everyone else feeds off that. And I think Aiden. Just with time, he's a hugely smart player anyway. Probably one of the smartest players I ever played with. But even in time, he looks to me like he's developing all the time. And obviously, new coaches in as well. That's going to help that and get getting different bits of advice. But to me, he just looks like he's playing that full forward line role an awful lot smarter. Plus, I think the boys out the pitch are using him an awful lot better too. I think there's, there's a combination of numerous factors into his performances at the minute. I think that's really, really positive for me going forward. It's an interesting line. One of the smartest players you played with 
you'd struggle to find a more acutely criticised player in yeah. Aidan O'Shea's generation. Mm. Unbelievably so, Joe, yeah. Uh, the mind boggles sometimes at, at some of the stuff. And uh, like even Mayo supported in that. And like I'd say Mayo supporters over the last couple of years are kind of saying, oh, Aidan's only a 20-minute man now at this stage, you know, which is crazy stuff to me. So much to offer. And you've seen that, the, you see all that in the last two games, what he has to offer on going forward with Mayo. And Aidan... Aiden is at his best when he's back against the wall. Yeah. I, I feel that when the people are kind of written him off or you know criticizing him, he comes out with a big performance, and that's what he's done the last couple of games. And like I said, it's only a positive thing for Mayo because what I really liked about him the last days and in the whole Mayo forward line, the rotation. So if he was in there, Brian O'Donoghue, who I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, and was on, mm. was dropping out when Aiden was coming out the field. Brian O'Donoghue was slipping in from the half forward line, and they were interlinking really well together, and that was going on all throughout the pitch. And if, if Aiden does come up against Jason Foley, like Jason Foley got moved off him at half time and, mm. and they bring on Dylan Casey. If Aiden does come up against Foley later on in the year, that's a nice little psychological win for him straight away. Yeah. You know, would, so early in the year. Would you have ever felt across his, his his brilliant career that full forward was his best position? I think Aiden was so good at, at, at so many aspects of the game, even of his defensive play. Like he's the best tackler I've ever seen. Because simply when he wraps you in a tackle, it's not just how he does it, it's his smartness, acuteness of narrowing angles, using touch lines, almost showing you into an area where he wants to bring you rather than where you want to go. And once he gets his arm around you, it's a turnover because he's just going to wrap you and knock the ball out of your hands. So the so like so you can use him obviously center forward and then in midfield because he's so good in the air. But yeah, like probably the biggest thing about Aiden full forward for Mayo over numerous is we didn't use him properly. I think that's that's a big, big Thing with, that we have to say we probably didn't move the ball quick enough we didn't kick it enough especially when it was on and maybe get enough players in and around it but I think the system that the boys are working mm. at the minute look it's very very early days Joe it's sure of course days. it is positive signs for sure no doubt yeah God, it, it, we should talk about him in depth another night with a bit more time because mm. I do want to move on but like right there I mean two things which I haven't heard said about him from pundits over the last 10, 12 years, you're saying one of the most intelligent players you're playing with and one of the best tacklers yeah. you've played with. Because honestly, what you'd hear more often is like, not fit enough, doesn't do it on the big day, uh, male shortcomings, uh, almost like because he's an individual, like is his attitude right? Like a lot of male shortcomings and the reason they haven't got over the line might be put at his door. So it's really, it's so interesting to get your perspective as someone who's seen him at first hand versus maybe perception. Oh yeah, for sure. And I, like everything you're saying there is just, as you say, you win as a team, you lose as a team. And like I said, when we seem to lose over the years, Aiden will get the most criticism, you know, which is just absolutely nuts. Because even within games that we lost, that Aiden, Aiden might have had his best performance. He did still did some unbelievable stuff for you. And I think Tom Parsons put this very well in an interview during the week. You know, he does so much unseen stuff to the naked eye that you're your your maybe Joe Soap or whatever you want to call them up in the stand doesn't see for the team. He does an incredibly amount of that for the team and is probably one of the most unselfish players as well because, like I said, some of the, some of the stuff he does, a lot of people don't take any notice of it, but it's hugely, hugely effective for the team. Okay. We'll put a pin there in Mayo, yeah. Roscom and Kerry, those guys, and, and come back to it <laughs> as we see things uh, transpire. Uh, Cork Dublin obviously caught the eye for a few reasons. Cork 210, Dublin 18 points. A two-point win for Dublin. That said, Brian Hurley's shot late on was deflected against mm. the woodwork, so it could have been very, very different. That's a first away win in the league for Dublin against Cork in 33 years, which was kind of a shocking statistic. 
Uh, we'll come to the referee in a moment. In general terms, McCaffrey on for Dublin. What a welcome sight it is to have yeah, him back, brilliant. kicked a point up and down the left-hand side. It was like he was never away. I, I didn't see this game in full. I saw Dublin against Kildare. They were okay-ish. I'm reading they were okay-ish in this game as well. What's your read on the dubs? Yeah, okay-ish is probably a decent way of putting it. Um, very, very hard to know, Joe. Look at McCaffrey come back. Obviously, it was brilliant to see just from a, a neutral. You know, even that injection he brought for the 10 or 15 minutes. I was actually on with you, Joe, I think the day of or the following day where this got announced where McCaffrey and Manuel's back. That's right, yeah. I was talking to you about this was basically a game changer for Dublin. <sighs> As time has gone on and I'm watching Dublin in the last couple of weeks, I'm not sure is it as big a game changer as as what I thought at the time. There's a couple of reasons in that. Obviously, Mannion, we don't know what his story is. He's had a bad injury. He's probably rushed back to play a club final. I don't know where that leaves him. McCaffrey will be a big addition, no doubt. But I'm looking at some of the Dublin guys that are playing there at the minute. And they are missing some some players, obviously. But some of the guys that's playing at the minute, they certainly won't be stri- striking fear into any opposition later on in the year. Um, I, th- I think it's fair to say it that and I'm looking at the likes of Mick Fitzsimons you know in the full back line probably still their main man marker he's 34 this year I looked at him yesterday on Brian Hurley look obviously the space was there in the Dublin system just quite isn't right yet defensively but you know you know what's funny in Fitzsimons it's so funny you say that I watched him in the league last year and I said it's over he's done yeah. he's done it's over and then he had a great championship. And I, I remember almost saying, I need to put a post-it up that I, yeah. we have to, we're going to allow Fitzsimons uh, ease his way mm. in. But 34 is 34. And it's the one position on the pitch, Joe, cornerback in the full back line, marking the top players. At nearly any other position on the pitch, you can almost mind yourself and you can time your runs and you can serve your energy. But when you're on the full back line, marking a, the main player from that position, you don't have that you you know, you're not afforded that opportunity. Yeah. So that would be a concern for me because Davy Byrne in the last couple of years, he hasn't been the same Davy Byrne as, you know, from 2016 to 2020 where he was sensational man marker. And obviously they do have Merchant come back in there as well. But Merchant is a brilliant, brilliant player, but he can only mark a certain specific type of player. Like he can't mark a David Clifford or probably a Shane Walsh or a Reno Nee because he just doesn't have the physicality to do so. So that's where you're... Mick Fitzsimons has still been left with them jobs and I'm looking at Dublin yesterday and saying where's the next Mick Fitzsimons you know you know, surely if there's someone there that's going to be good enough you know they'd be coming in doing them jobs Mark and Brian Hurley that, yeah. that Desi Farron might fancy in playing in the championship you know where's the next James McCarthy's and the next Jack McCaffrey's I, d- I just don't know where they're there I don't think they still have found a top class midfield partner for for Brian Finton and, and some of the guys in the forward line at the minute do look slightly iffy Look, when Dublin get their first 15, their strongest 15 on the pitch, they'll be a match for absolutely anyone out there. There's no doubt about it. But at the same time, I do think there's four, five, maybe even six teams later on the championship to get Dublin in a group stage or a quarterfinal, semi-final, whatever it is, and they really, really fancy their chances. No okay. doubt about it, yeah. Yeah, interesting. I, what of Cork, by the way? Brilliant. Yeah, looked looked really, really good. Look, I don't know if we'll chat about the referee in a minute, Joe, but I think, will, yeah. I think he slightly ruined the game, to be honest with you. But Cork, really, really good. Um, obviously, with Kevin Welch, you can see, you know, doing a lot of what Galway used to do with his, his team, conceding kickouts, you know, just funneling numbers back, getting bodies behind the ball, making it difficult, even though Dublin did kick 18 points. But, you know, sometimes against Dublin, you might say that's that's not bad. 
uh, especially in a, in a fast pitch like Corky Cueve. But yeah, it looked really good. And how good was it to see Brian Hurley? Like I know I mentioned him earlier on, but when Brian Hurley is on song like that, he is one of the best te- one of the best forwards in the country. He really, really was. And some of the points he kicked yesterday were at the top, top level. Mm-hmm. And if he if he gets if he sticks that goal at the end, it's probably the goal of the season. And what a moment that would have been, and what a win that would have been for Cork. Uh, but Cork looked like, you know, a huge, you know, huge win in Kildare the week before. I know they lost to Meath in the first game, but UCC winning the series and the three or four boys involved in that. And I think generally you'd have to say John Cleary can watch. They'll be, they'll be happy enough, mm. I think, with how they're going. You know, now it's really, really important to finish the league strongly, but I think overall they're on an upward curve. Okay, good. I guess a strong cork is good for the GA in, in many respects. Yeah, for sure. Uh, 14 men apiece. You've mm. referenced the referee, and so Seamus Mulher, the referee. Ian Maguire got a second yellow. That was three minutes into the second half for a, a tug. And then the point has been made that when Paderokovic Byrne was booked, Desi Farrell pretty much whipped him off <laughs> straight away. Uh, he couldn't protect Lee Gannon, who also got a second yellow. It doesn't seem like the referee saw that foul, but got advice in his earpiece. He gave out 10 yellow cards in total. So to what extent he felt, well, I got to, if I give a yellow to Maguire for that, I'm going to have to dish out more. Mm. Uh, Desi Farrell was... Uh, kicked the touch he said a little bit soft was what he said about um, sendings off I, I haven't heard anyone who, who thought this was <laughs> the way to referee things this doesn't seem to be one of those trends though which is across the league there's often you know a rule which they go big on for a league campaign everyone hates it and it withers away in the vine by the time championship comes around this just seems like it was maybe not Seamus Mulher's greatest performance on a given day I'd certainly be hoping it's the latter, Joe, because if it's if it's the case that this is going to be the, the way going forward. Now, look at it's two red cards. They were probably, the Ian Maguire one was, I, I don't know if I've ever seen anything like it, the, the two yellow cards that he gets. The first one for me, I'm adamant that's not a foul. Never mind a yellow card. I think he comes from behind, makes contact, slows down the Dublin player who just hits the ground easily. I couldn't believe that he gets a yellow card. And then when I look at the second one, if you're very, very, very technical, it's a free, of course. I wouldn't say Dean Rock even knew Maguire had a hold of his jersey for that split second he did. And to get a second yellow card for that, like Maguire was in complete shock, um, as was everyone watching at the same time. The Lee Gannon one, I think it just comes completely from a linesman seeing something and maybe thinks to himself, you know, maybe seeing something that he wanted to see or felt he had to see to level things out. But, I'd have a huge issue with Sean Powder in that situation. Um, he played to the crowds. He completely played to get Gannon his second yellow. I don't really know he was on a first one, but he goes down holding his head after getting brushed in the back. With It wasn't even a shoulder. He was touched. And this is not a soccer thing anymore, Joe. This is a Gaelic football thing. This is a very, very common thing we're seeing. What, what would you say What would you say to a teammate who did that? It's Look, it's difficult to know. Like... It, it's if not difficult to know. Dress- you know. You do know what you'd say. You'd say, good man, and give him a yeah, wink. Yeah, exactly. And do you know what? If you were in a dressing room when that happened, you'd probably be all laughing about it in the dressing room yeah. after- afterwards, saying, you know, having a joke about it. But now, look, at as a supporter looking in now and as a neutral, I kind of think does ret- retrospective action need to be taken now if we if it's so clear that lads are feigning an injury and yeah. trying to get lads into off? Do we need to look at that? Like, let's just say the GA come out and ban Sean Poulter for two league games after that. Imagine the sheer embarrassment on his behalf mm-hmm. or someone else that it happens to. Because, look, we saw with Devon Comfort last year with the, with the penalty staying down for five or six minutes when it was clear there was absolutely nothing wrong with them in the Ireland semi-final. Like, this is, this is something that's coming in on a... 
on a regular basis now. So I'm just wondering if it's something the GA need to look after and and really try and tackle. But mm. going back to the whole point about refereeing and and yellow cars, like I think this is a a thing in the GA at the minute. The whole issue around the tackle is not a new thing, but how much contact different referees are allowing and a lot of the stuff I've seen in the league, not just this year, but league and championship for the last couple of years, it's so, so varied. And I was in Casper on Saturday night and I'm looking at the referee, Sean Hurston, putting up his hand for advantage for freeze. And I'm thinking, that's a really, really good tackle. That's exactly how I was coached to tackle when I was growing up or yeah. playing Mayo Senior and how I'd coach, you know, lads now if I was tackling. That's a brilliant, brilliant tackle. And what, you know, what are you giving a free for there? And I, t- I think we're not allowing enough contact, number one. I, I'd never thought I'd say this, Joe, but you look at the premiership over the water and, you know, there's a new incentive in this year. Let more contact go. Yeah, let tackles go. Let contact yeah. go. And the premiership is far better to watch for it. And I'm thinking, do we need to look at that now and start saying, we need to start letting more contact go here. This is getting a bit a, a bit farcical, really, from a scale of football. Let it be the man sport that it, that was, you know, for so long. And it's what makes it so good when that contact has been allowed. Games are naturally better for it. Okay. We'll watch that space. Interesting uh, yeah. thoughts. We are out of time. That was great, though. Thank you so much, Colin. Yeah, thanks a million, Joe. Cheers. Colin Boyle there, four-time All-Star uh, with Mayo giving us his thoughts on the weekend's action. OTB Sports Rugby. Don't just take it easy. Keep the emotion in check. That's not that what the sport is about. It's about emotion. It's about singing your national anthem with pride. Subscribe to the Rugby Stream on the OTB Sports app now.